0: Well, we're still studying in Proverbs, and we're in the 14th chapter. I've prepared 14 and 15, but we'll see how far we get. In this first verse, we see the homemaker, a woman that by wisdom builds her house. The woman has a very unique role in building the house, the home through the wisdom that God makes available for her. Let's read the first verse. It says, Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down. So a wise woman is a home builder, but... And a woman who has no fear of God and who is willful and wasteful will ruin her family as if she plucked down her house. But the wise woman builds the house. The foolish woman tears it down. And then in verse 2 it says, He that walketh in his uprightness feareth the Lord, but he that is perverse in his ways despiseth him. Now then the fear of the Lord will cause us to walk uprightly. But perverse in his ways, they despise the Lord in that the attitude of despising the Lord, of course, would end up being perverse in your ways. Verse 3, it says, In the mouth of the foolish is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise shall preserve them. The rod of pride. A rod is for his back. Here's hurtful pride. And pride grows from the root of bitterness in the heart. It says, In the mouth of the foolish is a rod of pride, but where the, what, what is in the heart comes out of the mouth. So therefore you can tell if the man's mouth is foul and his pride, it comes out of the heart. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the heart the mouth speaketh. In the mouth of the foolish is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise shall preserve them. You'll either find that he's punished, the rod of pride, and you'll find that the words that we speak come back to us. They make their turn, they come around. Verse 4 says, Where no oxen are, the crib is clean, but much increase is by the strength of the ox. I read one comment that says, There is no milk without some manure. <laughs> and some disturbance is the price of growth and accomplishment. In other words, you have to have something as evidence of, of uh, any progress. In verse 5, A faithful witness will not lie, but... A false witness will utter lies. You have the true and the false here. And then verse 6 says, A scorner seeketh wisdom and findeth it not. A scorner cannot find wisdom. If you're always a scoffer or a scorner, a scorner seeketh wisdom and findeth it not. Remember, Paul speaks of those that seek to be wise and cannot uh, find wisdom in, in several instances. goes back to the de- days of Janus and Jambres, and he talks about those that tried to be wise even in Moses' day, and they couldn't be made wise. Let's see if I can find that in Second Timothy. Timothy chapter 3. Well, let's read verse 6, but verse 7 is the important verse. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lusts. Now look, verse 7. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth, look at this verse now in our in our uh, proverbs. <clears throat> what does it say? A scorner seeketh wisdom and findeth it not. in other words, they are ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth, but knowledge is easy unto him that understandeth why is knowledge, knowledge easy to him that understandeth? Jesus said, he that doeth the will shall know of the doctrine. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is our teacher and that children of God in the will of God can be taught the things of God. And only a rebellious spirit... If you're a scorner and seek wisdom, you will not find it. And the Bible says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them. Neither can he know them. Because they're spiritually discerned. But God's children have the Holy Spirit. John says, You have an unction from the Holy One, and needeth not that any man teach you. He said that unction or anointing of the Holy One will cause a child of God to understand the things of God. And he will learn. And it's easy unto him that understandeth, because he's willing to understand. Jesus said in another place, John chapter 8, I believe it is, that he that is of God, heareth God's words. And he says, ye therefore hear them not, because you are not of God. See the difference? He that is of God, heareth God's words. And that's why it says, uh, knowledge is easy unto him that understandeth. It It doesn't mean you don't have to study, but it means it will come, and it will come to you as you study God's word, and it will be not only... Well, we say easy in the sense that it will be peaceable. It will be, uh, you can be taught and you can learn. So study to show thyself approved unto God. The workman need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Verse uh, 7 Go from the presence of a foolish man. Why are you to go from the presence of a foolish man? Because you will not find wisdom there. If you know a man is foolish, if you know a man is slippant, and know a man doesn't. Really study the Word of God and know he just, what little scripture he quotes is just in a haphazard way. And you can tell by the way he quotes it that he doesn't even know what it means in the first place. A lot of times a fellow quotes scripture and he has no inkling as to what it really is talking about. In fact, they twist it and make it mean something altogether, uh, After human wisdom and after man's understanding instead of what the Bible really teaches that that scripture means. So it says, go from the presence of a foolish man. Get out of his way. Don't. Try to learn from a man that that cannot teach you anything. Go from the presence of a foolish man when thou perceivest not in him the lips of knowledge. When you understand that he doesn't know what he's talking about, it's time to go somewhere where you know that someone knows what they're talking about. And then it says, the wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way look at that to understand his way he considers conduct and heart and it comes from his heart and his habit of doing the right thing his way here we have real sense and real folly but the folly of fools is deceit the wise the wisdom of the prudent man is to understand his way but That makes real sense, doesn't it? He considers his way. He considers his conduct. He considers his habit of life. That makes real sense. But the folly of fools is deceit. Real folly. So it's real sense or real folly. What does a man make to you? Does he make sense or does he make foolishness? In verse 9 it says... Fools make a mock at sin, but among the righteous there is favor. God's approval is among the righteous. Fools make a mock at sin. They not only make a mock at sin itself, but actually the word here means a sin offering. And do you know when you really bring it down to application, fools make a, a mock at a sin offering. They don't believe that a sin offering does anything for you and I, but the sin offering is what uh, Cain made a uh, a mock of, and Abel recognized that a sin offering was the proper thing, and God had respect unto Abel and to his what offering, and to Cain and his offering he had not respect. You see, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. And it says, by which, by the which, this offering, he obtained witness that he was righteous. Now, he wasn't any more righteous than Cain by nature. But it says, by faith, so he believed that God would accept this offering that he knew he had been told that God would accept. And therefore, he offered a sin sacrifice, and God accepted it. And Cain made a mock at sin, or the sin offering. So, there's people today, let's, let's apply it to the offering that Jesus made for us. There are people today that make a mockery and mock at the fact that Christ's sacrifice on the cross finished the work of atonement and redemption for you and I. They say, well, no. You've got to do certain things in order to be saved. Even though Jesus came, and they may look upon Him as a good man and a good example and so on. And they may think He died even as a martyr. But that's not the case. He died as a sin sacrifice. And they make a, a mockery at the sin offering. The word here for sin, it says, fools make a mock at sin. And the word there is actually a sin offering. That's what it means. So it means a sin offering. And that's what people make a a mockery of today is the sacrifice of Christ on the cross is not sufficient for salvation. They think it has to involve a lot of other things. But anything you try to add to it is to diminish from it. If you think it takes Christ's sacrifice plus something you do of whatever nature it is, whether it's good works or baptism or church membership or... Or your uh, holy life or godly life, which all of these are good things and should follow in the Christian life. But if you think that adds to it, you're diminishing from the sacrifice of Christ. You see, you're bought with a price, not a half a price or a down payment. You're bought with a price and you're not your own. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. He paid the full price of your redemption. And if you're trying to repay it in any way whatsoever, you're diminishing from the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And fools make a mock at the sin offering. But it says, Among the righteous there is favor, because the righteous believe. You read in Hebrews 11, I quoted it to you. It says, by faith, Abel, let's go back again and get this scripture and get exactly what it says. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. By what? By which? By the sin offering that he offered, he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of, listen, Of Abel? No. God testifying of his gifts, of his sacrifice. See, God testified that he was righteous because of his sacrifice. Not because he was a good person, but he did offer it by faith. Well, that changed his life, and I'm sure any man that has faith, his life's going to be different, isn't it? He believed God and he lived for God. And he did what God told him to do. All right, let's go to the next verse. Verse 10. The heart knoweth his own bitterness. And a stranger doth not intermeddle with his joy. Each one has his own heart to deal with. And his own bitterness to deal with. And his own problems to deal deal with. And his own trials to deal with. Sometimes you feel like you want to carry the burden of another individual. Now you may sympathize with them. You may pray with them and for them. And the Bible does teach us to pray one for another. But ultimately, it's going to be up to that individual to realize that the heart knoweth his own bitterness. You're either going to have to find good in there, and God in there, and uh, His blessings in there, and deliverance from whatever trial or problem that you have, and He will give you the joy. A stranger doth not intermeddle with his joy. So you have bitterness and joy. Okay? In verse 11, The house of the wicked shall be overthrown. It's going to be, there's going to be retribution. But the tabernacle of the upright shall flourish. There will be rewards. In other words, this verse teaches for bad or for good, there's some, there's some results. Verse 12, there is a way which seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. you heard me preach on this time and again. There is a way. Notice the wording of this verse. You know it's always good to look at your Bible. Look at this verse. There is a way. That's singular, isn't it? A way. One way. There is a way. Which seemeth right unto a man. A man. Now look. But the end thereof are the ways, W-A-Y-S, plural, of death. So what do you see here? One man may have one way, and it seems right to him. Another man may have another way, and it seems right to him. The third and the fourth up to as many as you want to think of. And it seems right to him. But if it's not God's way, the end of all these ways are the way of... It says, and the end thereof are the ways, all of these various ways are the ways of death. Verse 13, even in laughter, (coughs) the heart is sorrowful, and the end of that mirth is heaviness. Look at that. Though laughter may relieve us sometimes and relieve the tension of one's suffering or grief, it's only a temporary... Escape from the reality of some tragedy that might come. It's only a temporary thing that laughter does. In other words, you can try to laugh off something that is really heartbreaking, and that laughter will put it off until you face up to the reality of it. There's a lot of people that joke about everything and think that solves the problem. You can, And laughter is a good medicine for some cases. Don't misunderstand me because there's another side to this. But laughter here, it says, notice, even in laughter the heart is sorrowful. So the laughter may come, and it only is a temporary escape from the reality of the tragedy that may come. There's another way I want you to look at this. Even in laughter, the heart is sorrowful. But the end thereof, the end, the end of that mirth is heaviness. I think a lot of times of laughter in public places where people are just seemingly having a hilarious time. You know, they're having a real good time. But deep down in their heart, what is it? The end thereof. uh, It says the end of that mirth is heaviness. They're trying to cover up a heaviness that exists there. you ever heard people say, let's go out and have a good time? You know what's wrong a lot of times? If you want to go out and have a good time, 90% of the time, you're trying to cover up some feeling inside that you need relief from. And it'll, it'll come back just as quick as you've had your good time. It will. It'll be there. It'll still be there. So a good time... You know, a lot of people think that just a lot of pleasure-seeking and a lot of good times is the answer to all of their trials. Not so, brother. Just not so. You have to face up to your own life and you have to be happy in the things of God and realize that it's not just uh, just uh, painting the town red, as some would say, you know. Let's go out on the town. and Let's take in everything, every movie. Let's take in all the high places. Let's really live it up, so to speak. You come back home. The end of that mirth, that kind of laughter, is what? Heaviness. You're still going to have to face the problems when you get home. And that's a very temporary solution to a long-standing problem. And the main thing to do is get happy inside between you and God. And then you won't have to seek the pleasures of this world. The Bible says, By faith, Moses, listen, By faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather, listen, to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He chose the sufferings of identifying himself with the people of God than the pleasures of sin for a season. A lot of people choose the pleasures of sin, and listen, all pleasures of sin, are very seasonable and very temporary. They're only for a season. Find some deep down, deep rooted trust in God and love for God and the Word of God and the things of God and the people of God and the house of God and the prayer to God. Those spiritual things, those means of grace that will satisfy the soul. And that's a far greater blessing and more satisfying because the end of that mirth that we're talking about is heaviness for others. Look in verse 14. The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. Where's the backslider? It's in heart. The one turned away in heart from God. The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. Of all sinners, backsliders will have the most terror... When they reflect on their own ways, when you get away from God and live away from God, when you reflect on your own ways, you'll have the most horrible feeling about it. Then it says, "And a good man shall be sati- uh, shall be satisfied from himself." Let me read Isaiah chapter three and verse 10 for this. Isaiah three and verse 10 says this. It says, "Say ye unto the righteous that if it be well with him, uh, that it shall be well with him." For they shall eat of the fruit of their doings. So you're going to reap what you sow in that uh, respect. Look at verse 15 now. Proverbs 14:15. The simple believeth every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his goings. He proves it. He looks before he leaps. He checks it out before he believes it. Look, the simple believeth every word. In other words, some folks just believe everything they hear. But it says the prudent man... Looketh well to his going. He's going to check it out. You check it out before you believe it. That's what you're supposed to do. Check it out and see if it tallies with the Word of God. Paul tells Timothy, he says, In the last day some shall depart from the faith. Listen. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devil. That word giving heed means paying attention to, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of death. A lot of people pay attention to the wrong things. You, if someone comes along with false doctrine, and you've been grounded enough in the Word of God, you recognize it immediately, don't pay any attention to it. Don't even give it a corner in your mind. You say, "Well, that's being narrow-minded, no. That's standing on your convictions. That's not giving false doctrine a way to root itself into your life. And we have plenty of cults round about today that will really mix you up. You don't think it. you get out and start dealing in the religious world. Jesus said that he had compassion on the multitudes because they were uh, straying as sheep having, they were like sheep having no shepherd. They had no one to lead them. And when you have the good shepherd and he's leading you in the right way, don't you be led off with someone that comes along and tries to spoil the flock? And there are plenty like that today. Be take heed. Look at that verse again. The simple believeth every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. He wants to check it out. By the way, in First John chapter four, verses one through three, you're told exactly how that you can face. Uh, those that would lead you astray. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit. See, the simple believeth every word. Uh, when it says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, it's, it's merely saying, do not believe everything that you hear. Beloved, believe not every spirit. You say, well, a preacher told me that. Or I heard it on the radio or the television. And, and it was a preacher. He was a preacher. That doesn't make it any better if there's deception behind it. If it's not according to God's Word, you better check it out. Those uh Bereans were more noble than those of Thessalonica in that they searched the Scriptures daily to see what Paul was preaching was true, right? And you search the Scriptures, you search the Scriptures when I'm preaching. You search the Scriptures when Brother Randy's preaching. You search the Scriptures when whoever's preaching and see if it tallies with God's Word. And if mine can't stand the test, I'll turn and see what it really says, and we'll look at it together. But the test is God's Word. And it says, here, let me read this again. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone, are gone out into the world. Now, we're given a way that we can know it. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. says, so how are we going to know the Spirit of God? Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Now, what does that mean? That confesses that Jesus Christ, Jesus is His earthly name, Christ is the Anointed, the Messiah, is come in the flesh, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John chapter 1. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Believe that He came from God. Look. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. That means that in order to be of the true Spirit, and of God's Spirit, and of the truth, you have to believe in the deity of Christ, and the preexistence of Christ, and the humanity of Christ, all rolled up in one, and then that would include his life, his sinless life, His sacrificial atoning death and His literal bodily resurrection. It would include all that He guaranteed and and claimed to be and have and do. It would take in the whole realm of of the truth about Jesus Christ from the beginning of time till His life on this earth through His uh, resurrection and to His ascension back to the right hand of God and even the hope of His coming again in power and great glory. So every spirit... And that's the way you'll know it. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. The flesh means his humanity. And He has come means that the the Word became flesh. And so when you realize that it involves uh, those people that do not believe in the doctrine of the deity of Christ, then that cuts out a whole lot of folks, doesn't it? Because there's a lot of them who do not believe that. And I could go on and on with this passage. It says, and this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come into the world, and even now already is it in the world. That spirit of Antichrist was in the world in John's day. The Antichrist was not in the world, and he's not in the world today. At least we haven't seen him. He he hasn't manifested himself. He'll be manifested in, in the tribulation period, and he could be living at this particular time if it comes that soon. And I don't know when it'll come, and I'm not going to start predicting times and seasons. But if if the Lord were to come in the next few years, which He very likely could, and things point to it, then He could be living today. But He will not manifest Himself t- till during the tribulation period. And thank God, we won't be here. And some people say, "Well, you're, what are you going to do when you face the mark of the beast?" I'm going to be in heaven. And I'll let you worry about it. the rest of them. Worry about this on this earth. I'm going to be with the Lord because. That tribulation not coming till we're taken out of here. Revelation chapter 4, 1st Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep that you saw or not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, the dead in Christ, shall God bring with him. And says, We that are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord, Shall be caught up to meet the Lord in air. It says the trumpet shall sound, the dead in Christ shall rise first. We're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in air. In Revelation chapter four says, John saw a door open in heaven, and the voice said, Come up here, typical of the saints being raptured. And in chapter 4 and 5 of Revelation, you see the redeemed around the throne of God. When will they be around the throne of God? Before the tribulation, because in chapter 6 is when the tribulation starts. So We've got even some Baptist groups out in California. You heard me read a letter one night here. I mean, fundamental Baptist. Groups that are denying the, the rapture in these days. So you better be careful about what you hear. Uh, back to that part about what you hear, right? Because there's going to be there's fundamental groups now teaching that the rapture is going to happen after the tribulation, that the church is going to have to go through the great tribulation, and that the rapture is only going to take when Jesus comes, as is revealed in Revelation 19. I don't believe that for a minute. Because if that's so, what are those redeemed around the throne in Revelation chapter 4 and 5? how did they get there? And who are they? It says, out of every nation, kindred, people, and tongue, and singing praise, the song of uh, redemption by blood. And it says, He's made us kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And then it starts the tribulation period. If it has any sense of order whatsoever, the book of Revelation, it reveals that the saints will be in glory before that tribulation comes. So anyway, back to this. Uh, verse fifteen. <clears throat> the simple believeth every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. Look at verse sixteen. A wise man feareth and departeth from evil. What does he fear? The Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A wise man feareth and departeth from evil, but the fool rageth and is confident. A wise man feareth and departeth from evil. Did you know holy fear guards us against everything that is unholy? If we have a real fear of the Lord, reverence to God, we'll be guarded against the unholy. The awful thing. In verse 17. He that is soon angry dealeth foolishly. A man that loses his temper. And a man of wicked devices is hated. Verse 18. The simple inherit folly. But the prudent are crowned with the, with knowledge. In verse 19. The evil bow before the good. And the wicked at the gates of the righteous. They bow before the good. There's going to be a time that it will literally be so. That the good will overcome. I heard a deal on the television. was talking about this man. You may have heard of him that goes from company to company. Started with Scott uh, Paper Company, and started well, the downsizing till there was thousands of people lost their jobs. And so he saved the company and made himself a, a hundred million in the process. And these people, are, poor people, are cut out of their jobs because he downsized so much that it cut them out of their retirement and everything. And he says, "It's not true that the meek shall inherit the earth, but Jesus said they will." Because he is not meek, and they call him a lion and all this kind of stuff. He's got various, or an eagle, and some of you may have seen it. But anyway, they've got him classified as one that comes in and just really puts the teeth in every system. And they hire him for all these big companies that are having uh, problems, in their making making a profit. And he says the way to do it is get rid of it. Uh, three-fourths of the workforce, and that's what he's been doing. But he doesn't consider that in the process of making, him, making himself millions of dollars, he's putting all these people out of work too. There must be another way to do it. There must be a way to keep most of them working and make the company have a profit in the process of doing it. It, I'm not saying that some of the downsizing doesn't have to take place, but it's always at the expense of the man that's trying to make a living. It's always at the expense of the man that's nearly there and has put his whole life into the work. This one particular man had put his whole life in Scott Paper Company. He hadn't looked for anything else because he thought he had a lifetime job with it. Turned out, he lost everything because they had to get rid of him. They got rid of him simply because they were cutting people out of jobs. And... uh and also, at the, in the, at the same time, they cut him out of his uh, pension, out of his uh, retirement. That's pretty sad to think you work for a company 20, 30, 40 years and then end up with nobody caring a hoot about you or your future. And uh, it, it just ought not to be that way. And uh, there's other ways, there are always ways to do better than to just uh, cause hardship to everyone. And I realize that sometimes we have people in the workforce that need to be uh, cut out, but there's a lot of faithful people that are cut out by the process too. Okay, let's get back to this. It says, uh, uh, the evil bow before the good. Now, my point was, the evil bow before the good and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. There will be a time that the Lord will make it that way. And uh, those that will not bow, now it's the good have to bow before the wicked to even get along in this life, isn't it? Now, in verse 20, it says, the poor is hated even in a, even of his own neighbor. The word hated, Means he's unpopular with his own neighbor, but the rich hath many friends. Many are the lovers of the rich. He that despises his neighbor sinneth, but he that hath hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. You know it says. The rich hath many friends. Verse 20. Remember the prodigal son? Remember his fair weather friends? Well, he had a lot of them. He took all his living and he went into a far country. And there he wasted his substance with riotous living. And I'm sure when he is spending all that money and all of his inheritance, there were folks around to help him spend it. I mean, you can always get people to help you spend money. But then it says, when he had wasted all of his substance with riot to slipping, he was in want, in need, and joined himself to a citizen of that country. thought, well, maybe I found one friend. And he sent him into the hog pens to feed the hogs. And he fain would have filled his belly with a husk that the swine did eat. And he says, and no man gave unto him. See, when his money was gone, his friends were gone. And he said... I know what I'll do. He says, in my father's house, there's bread and enough to spare. He remembered home. And he says, I will arise and go to my father and say unto my father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against thee, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. And he was going to go on to say, make me as one of thy hired servants. He just wanted the place of one of the servants. So the Bible says he arose and he went to his father, he came to his father. And the Bible says, when he was yet a great way off, His father saw him. I like that. You know, if he is a great way off and his father saw him, he must have been looking for him. He must have been wanting him to come home. He must have said, Where's my son that has gone astray from this house? And by the way, we're all prodigals. We've all gone away. And his father saw him and ran. He didn't wait till the son came home and started. Uh, his story and all that ran and had compassion on him. Put his arms around his neck and he kissed him and he welcomed him home. But the, the son started saying to the father, he says, "Father, I've sinned against heaven and against thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son." And before he could say another word, make me as one of thy hard servants. He didn't get to finishes. He didn't get to finish his speech. So he felt that in his heart, he wanted to be a hard servant father said, hush, that's enough, son. said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on The robe of righteousness. In the little class we used to sing and the children, they'd get up here, they'd sing, the best thing in my life I ever did do, the best thing in my life I ever did do was take off the old robe and put on the new. That old robe of sin and 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 self-righteousness and put on the new robe of Christ's righteousness. He had clothed me with the garments of salvation. He's covered me with the robe of righteousness and the garments of salvation. Isaiah 61, I believe, is verse 10. So, we find that He came home, and the Father said, not only put the best robe on Him, put shoes on His feet. Shoes of respectability. And He says, and put a ring on His hand. You know, that ring was a ring of authority. Remember in the old days, they took the ring, and you take that ring, and you seal in the wax. Remember, Old Pharaoh of old put the ring on Joseph's hand and he said no man could do anything, lift up hand or foot or do anything except Joseph said so. Ring of authority. And so we find that he was well accepted when he came home. But he had many friends out there in the far country. Your real friend is when you return to the Father. Your real friend is God and the family of God. And if you could get that in your head tonight, above all other things, I think you'd have what we need to learn. Your real friend is God. And we need to pray. We need to trust God. And, and don't seek fair-weather friends, those that are just with, with you whenever uh, you've got a lot to spend and throw away. Because just as quick as you spend it all, they're going to be gone. And you're going to be left thinking about what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. Wisdom comes from God's Word if you listen to it. Listen to the next verse. It says, The poor is hated, verse 20, even of his own neighbor, but the rich... Uh, Hath many friends. Verse 21. He that despises his neighbor sinneth. But he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. The sin of contempt in despising your neighbor. One sins in despising any man on the basis of his status or position. He that despiseth his neighbor sinneth. And when we have respect of persons and we despise anyone because of their position or their status in life, we're sinning against God. The Bible says that God is no respecter of persons. Rich, poor, bond, and free are all alike to God. You see, there was only one level to go into the ark of Noah's day. Everything down low had to climb up, and everything high up had to fly down. And there was only one way of entrance. And as far as Jesus is concerned, there's only one way for the rich, poor, the bond, and free, for whatever race or color or creed or whatever. There's one level of entrance. And He has a leveling effect upon us. Now, some people look at others and say, well, they got lots of money. Some of them put, look at others and look down on them and say, they're very poor and they don't show them respect. God doesn't do that. He, he that despiseth his neighbor sinneth, but he that hath mercy on the poor happy is he. Do they not err and that devise evil? They go astray if they devise evil, but mercy and truth shall be unto them that devise good. God's blessings will be rest upon those that devise good. In all labor there is profit. In working there is profit. But look, but the talk, labor or talk, what you're going to do? But the talk of the lips tendeth only to penure. Have you ever heard people that, I've gotten people on the job before and all they could do was talk instead of work. You ever seen people like that? And they talk a good talk, but they don't do anything. As far as working, if you get on the job, it's time to work, not talk. And uh, in all labor, there's profit. But the talk of talk of the lips of tendeth only to opinion. The crown of the wise is their riches, but the foolishness of fools is folly. In verse 25, a true witness delivers souls; he saves souls. He's honest. But a deceitful witness speaketh lies; he destroys. He destroys the innocent. In verse 26. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. There's assurance. And his children shall have a place of refuge. They'll have a fortress. In verse 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. This is a source of spiritual vitality to depart from the snares of death. And it takes spiritual vitality to depart from the snares of death. In verse 28, in the multitude of people is the king's honor. A king's glory is in his kingdom. If he has just a few in his kingdom, he doesn't have much honor, does he? But in the of people is the destruction of the prince. Verse 29, He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding. Here's the wisdom of living at peace with, with one another. He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding. But he that is hasty of spirit, quick-tempered, exalteth folly. A sound heart is the life of the flesh. There's tranquility. But in thee the rottenness of of the bones. In verse uh, 31, He that oppresseth the poor reproacheth his Maker. We have to have respect for the poor. But he that honoreth him hath mercy on the poor. In verse 32, The wicked is driven away. That means he is thrust out violently. The wicked is driven away in his wickedness, but the righteous hath hope in his death. The wicked have a final ruin, and the Righteous have a final refuge, and they trust, and they have assurance of help. But the righteous hath hope, because he's trusting. He's assurance of help, even in death. And verse 33, wisdom resteth in the heart of him that hath understanding. Wisdom is at home in the heart of the one that has understanding. But he that is in the midst of fools is made known. But that which is in the midst of fools is made known. Notice. Two things here. Wisdom resteth in the heart of him that hath understanding. Wisdom is at home there in that heart. But look at the contrast. But that which is in the midst of fools is made known. He boasts in the very little that he has. You ever seen fellows with just a little bit of little bit of it and then they gotta brag about how big it is, how much it how how you know wonderful they are and how much knowledge they have. The longer I live, the less, the more I realize, the, the little I know. This is a world filled with knowledge, and God's Word is full of knowledge, and we don't know part of it. We don't know very much of it. you studied all your life, and you've only touched on it. That's why I said before at one time, when you see preachers say, I was there two years, and I run out of sermons to preach. You know why? They didn't study this because I've touched on it for 38 years in this one church. And i still got things in here I don't know a thing about. If we'd preach on every text we could find in the Bible, our lifespan and ten lifespans wouldn't cover it. I admire Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He had sermons for ten years to be read in the pulpits after he left. Eight or ten years. I don't know exactly how many. I'm using round numbers.